Before we get started on today's episode, we want to give a shout out to Randy, who is our newest sponsor on Buy Me A Coffee. So thank you, Randy. If you're out there, thank you for your support and thank you for listening. And for anyone else who would like to support the podcast, please visit our Buy Me A Coffee slash Racism Podcast page. It is also linked in our show notes and on our social media platforms. Welcome to the Racisms Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. Welcome back to the Racism Podcast, where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm Lisa, co-host of the podcast with Jaslyn. Hello. And today we're continuing with season three's theme, It's a White World Out There. We're going to be talking about how racism permeates every part of our lives, but let's first revisit the updated definition of racism from Merriam-Webster. Merriam-Webster defines it as A, a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. B, the systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another. And C, a political or social system founded on racism and designed to execute its principles. Yeah, thanks for that uh, reminder the definition of racism. Uh, So we'll be exploring the ways we think racism um, are still present in systems and processes that you may not even think about. Um, Some people might think, you know, the civil rights movement happened, you know, people can vote now, they can go to school. You know, we even had a black president. So, you know, racism's over, right? But uh, no, that's 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 not the case. Uh, racism hasn't just disappeared, evaporated from the systems that have been set in place a long time ago. And racism has not, unfortunately, disappeared from the views and attitudes of white people and uh, white people or people in power in general. So, I mean, there are still a lot of issues that affect people's lives in harmful ways. Um, but they might not be apparent or visible to the untrained eye. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. Yes. Yeah. And some of these things, uh, you know, I, I'm learning about, uh, that are, that are new to me because they didn't affect me or I didn't know how they affected me. So yeah, it's really interesting to kind of go below the surface. Um, and the first thing I wanted to talk about, and we'll link some of the articles that we found, Uh, is property and tax, uh, which is also related to wealth. Um, So there's reports, studies have been done that's showing that there's lower appraisals for black homeowners. Um, They also have lower home values. Uh, They also are taxed above what their, their, their white counterparts are taxed. Um, for the same value home. Yeah, I mean, 
I think my thoughts about this started with a report or news article that was talking about how this black couple was trying to sell their home and uh, to sell their home, they needed to get an appraisal, you know, so they could have a correct price on their home or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, their appraisal came back kind of low. They were a little confused. Like, you know, they thought their house was really nice. They're in a nice neighborhood. Um, so what they did was they, you know, they kind of cleaned out all the uh, black identifying or ethnic looking pictures and, you know, books or whatever out of their house. They had a white friend, you know, in the house when the appraiser came to do the appraisal, second appraisal. And, uh, you know, voila, <laughs> the house value automatically jumped like, what, $50,000 or something crazy like that. And it's like, um, that's not cool. <laughs> no. Like, you know, we talk, a lot of people talk about the wealth gap and a lot of um, wealth among families is built into their homes. And so if you, you know, are black and somebody decides your home is worth less and, you know, you have this experiment where, you know, it's the appraisal is low if you're black in the home versus if you're white in the home. Literally, the only thing that changed was who the appraiser thought the homeowner was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it sounds like racism. And so that, you know, is a contributor. And my friend even experienced this. I mean, she didn't do the experiment, but she was selling her home last year and her appraisals came in, you know, crazy low to her. And she's like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Like, but, you know, she didn't have the time to do all this experiments and stuff like that. And she just, she needed to sell her home. So, you know, what could she do? And so that's, a, I think that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you supposed to build wealth for your family if, you know, these invisible um, systems or these these appraisers or whatever are undervaluing your home? Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's not just about selling your home low. It's also about... Um, you know, you could be then owing more on your mortgage than your house is now quote unquote worth, exactly. right? So you're you're losing money on the selling, you're losing money on paying back this 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 mortgage, you know? Um so yeah, it hits them it could hit a homeowner on two on two ends, basically, if an appraisal comes down low. So that's really unfortunate. And I I wonder like you know, if like, let's say, let's say this couple that you had mentioned, you know, they live in a quote unquote nice neighborhood where the house, the last house that sold was, you know, X amount of dollars and they hoped that their house would sell at the same amount of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think that they would have, that the agent would want to appraise it at the same level so that the house values around it don't also have to take a hit when they get sold. I just... I don't understand yeah, why. Yeah, and it's like, I think one of the articles was saying that, you know, the comps, so I don't know a lot about the process, but appraisers use comp, comparable yeah. comparable houses. They were saying the comps that they used were strange, like, you know, houses oh. like not close by or not even the mm. same type of house. So they're like, that's what? Yeah. yeah, that's, that is definitely a very apparent sign that racism still exists yeah and then on top of that you know um homes in 
predominantly black neighborhoods or you know non-white neighborhoods tend to be lower in value Mm. um just in general i mean you know that might be a side effect of redlining when Mm -hmm. you know the federal government literally uh marked black neighborhoods as the least desirable neighborhoods and you know places not to uh insure or um yeah i think it was based on insurance but uh, yeah, so, you know, if you live in a black neighborhood, you're automatically kind of robbed of of, uh, of wealth in your home, even if you have a nice home and a similar type mm-hmm. home as a home in um, a predominantly white neighborhood. And then, because a lot of things are based on taxes in your community, you have a lower tax base uh, to draw from. And so, you know, sometimes these communities have to have higher taxes on mm-hmm. you know property to make up for the lower home values mm-hmm. and so you're getting higher tax bills for a lower home value than mm-hmm. yeah. you know people in predominantly white neighborhoods so there you go again mm-hmm. yep yeah and i think we can talk about that later and how that affects the kids in the neighborhoods like you said about um school funding um mm-hmm. is one of them services so we can talk about that uh, a little bit later um did you want to talk more about this automatic gratuity that's added to bill and how that's a form of racism? Yeah, so I think there was another story that came out where, you know, these some restaurants, you know, see black customers and they have this preconceived notion that, oh, you know, black people don't tip or black people tip lower. And so they're just going to go ahead and add gratuity to their bill, even though it's not, you know, a general policy for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, They're just going to add it in there automatically. And so somebody reported on that, like, "Um, excuse me, what is what is this? It's like, oh, it's just gratuity. Like, no, you're not charging everyone automatic gratuity. So why are you charging me automatic gratuity? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. that's not right. You know, if it, if that's your policy, I know some restaurants do that, you know, for large parties. I've seen mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, you can't treat different customers differently. That's it's uh, that's racist. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had automatic gratuity added to your bill. Uh, I know I I definitely know when you have big groups, you do. I've not noticed it in smaller groups, uh, but. Uh, Asians do also have a reput- uh, reputation of not tipping well, uh, which is which is not true, people. Okay, so if you work <laughs> in the restaurant industry, uh, every uh, the bad tippers come in all uh, race and ethnicities. But yeah, that is something, and uh, you know, gratuity is something that I don't really, I don't like gratuity. Uh, mm. I like to be, I like being in countries where there was no gratuity because I just wanted to pay for what, <laughs> for yeah, what, I, for I, what mean, I got. Yeah, here's a crazy thought. Why don't we pay our service, you know, mm-hmm. the, the service yes. people in the restaurant, you know. Uh, a living wage. Uh, yeah. Minimum Wait. wage, at least. At least minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would support that. I don't. I, I don't, would support it. I don't. 100%. Yeah, I don't agree with this um, gratuity-based service. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're if gratuity is expected and everybody agrees, then you know why don't you just give yeah. workers 
a living wage and then increase the food price and it'll probably come out to be the same. Yeah. <laughs> Once the well, bill safe. comes out to, you know, your food plus tip, True. it's probably the same if you just raise the price on the food. So, mm-hmm. you know, this mm-hmm. thing about, you know, oh, we raise, you know, workers to minimum wage. You got to raise prices on the food. Well, we're already paying for the tip. Like we're mm-hmm. literally yeah. paying their salary. So mm-hmm. go ahead and raise the food prices. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really, um, I agree with that because, yeah, you don't want to be prejudged when you go to a restaurant. Like, you just want to go and have food. Like, why do you have to be afraid that someone's going to, like, judge you for being, like, a good a good tipper, a bad tipper, you know, an easy customer, like, a difficult customer? Like, that's just, that's not, why do we have to add that layer yeah. on top of just going out to eat, right? Yeah, and then on top of that, you know, um, black servers, <laughs> have reported Mm. lower tips than you know white Mm. servers because racism so let's just even the playing field for everybody Mm -hmm. everybody gets Mm -hmm. the same wage and then you don't have these servers trying to like cater to rude people or Mm. enduring harassment that unwanted harassment that you know managers are not going to do anything about um just for tips so there's a lot of problems with the tipping system that could be Mm. you know might be alleviated, I'm not going to say it will be, but might be alleviated, you know, if we, if we pay them a, a, a minimum, a better minimum, minimum wage. Yeah. And I would say, like, as we are coming out of this pandemic, people are going out more. Some people who left the, you know, the service industry might not come back because they don't want to rely on tips for their livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, they they would rather have a a salary job or something that pays minimum wage and that they can at least plan instead of like, you know, I know I'm going to take home $2 an hour, but I'm hoping for tips. But what if people don't go out to eat as much as they used to? Then they're kind of out of, you Exactly. Know? And then, know, so. you know, the law says that, you know, if uh, somebody who's on a tipped uh, minimum wage um, doesn't make up to the minimum wage and tips, then they're supposed to get the minimum wage you know their employers are supposed to make up that difference but you know that doesn't always happen unfortunately so yeah i think it's time for a change time for a change especially since it hasn't changed i don't think the minimum wage has changed that's a whole nother story minimum wage is a whole nother (laughs) story but yeah yeah so all right so let's move on to our next topic which is health and this affects uh you know baby mortality rates um birthing mother mortality rates, let's see, med students um, being taught these uh, racist uh, racist ideas. Uh, what kind of, what would you like to, what, excuse me, you want to touch on first, Jasmine, what's, what's uh? So yeah, um, health. health. I think a lot of people would agree that, um, People, you know, black and Latinx people have a lot of health concerns Mm -hmm. and also a lot of problems accessing quality health care, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe due to their socioeconomic status or where they live. But I've seen reports that, you know, it's not just based on socioeconomic status, it's literally um, these ideas that 
doctors, medical students have about black people um, that are false and thus uh, affects the care that they give to black people. Um, so mm-hmm. there's this report that says medical students, and I don't think these medical students are taught these things, but they do believe them that, you know, black people in general have less or a higher pain tolerance than white people or black mm-hmm. people don't feel pain as much as white people. And, and as a consequence, they say that, you know, white doctors may give black patients uh, an inadequate treatment for pain. They might ignore complaints of pain or undermine or, you know, not believe them when they say they're in pain. I mean, even Serena Williams has a story of giving birth to her daughter and, you know, telling the doctors, look, you know, I have a history of blood clots and I, you know, I know what it feels like. So, I've, you know, I think there's a problem here. And at first they were not believing serena williams now if (laughs) serena williams is having problems with her doctor imagine what you know non uh, olympians are having problems with like yeah uh, yeah so that's not cool and like um the black baby mortality rate with white doctors uh, black babies delivered by white doctors have a higher mortality rate than white babies delivered by white doctors. Mm. Now that disparity is not the same when you look at black doctors, you know, white Mm. babies and black babies with black doctors, Mm. there's no uh, statistically significant difference in the mortality rate. So, you know, what do we say is the the, uh, solution here? Um, I think it's more black doctors because, (laughs) you know, how how do you tell someone, you know, you have these bad ideas about black. Like, how do you unteach that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I would trust a doctor. I don't know if I could trust a. You know, I don't know if I could trust white doctors. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if reports like that, yeah. you know, don't improve over time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean. Yeah, more doctors of all different backgrounds is a is a great idea. Uh, it also goes back to giving all students the the support they need, uh, the you know the 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 tools they need, the confidence building that they need to pursue these bigger goals. I would I guess I would say you know if you're taught from very young. Um, that you can't be this, you know, you can't do that, you're never going to do that, then, you know, they're not going to pursue that. They may not pursue that career goal. So I think it starts from a very young age, giving them that foundation that they can be doctors um, and then supporting them all the way through. It's also like, I think the medical industry is also, could also use some improvement in terms of doctor how they treat their patients um and so like this is like the the the, kind of like the worst of it um the most like sad part of it Uh, but i think if you are a person going to the doctor like you may experience just you know flippant responses to your pain Mm -hmm. or you know it's not that it's probably just you know drink some water (laughs) or you know take your vitamins yeah it's not a lot about 
kind of diagnose people for their so I think it's a it's a really deep issue but yeah the it's it's really sad to hear that babies have to die mothers have to die in childbirth because of you know racism and they may or they may or may not even realize that they're doing it but it happens and yeah I would be scared too if that would me yeah So let's talk about green spaces, which is really, uh, right, which really relates to the redlining that you had uh, mentioned earlier, and how often in the history of the United States as it was developing, um, industries, factories uh, would be built next to redlined districts rather than the green line districts and that has perpetuated uh these these neighborhoods having less access to green space you know no parks for kids to play and no safe spaces for them to run around in uh, as well as their outdoor air quality being worse um, which then affects their indoor air quality so you have higher rates of uh, asthma uh, and other respiratory diseases so you wanted to talk so would you want to talk more about that and how that affects just everything? And Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Environmental racism um, refers to uh, the fact that, you know, people of color, low-income people are the most likely to be near sources of contamination and pollution mm-hmm. Um, in their water, in their air, in the soil, than uh, white people or, you know, people in a higher income bracket. And, I mean, there are reports that um, race is the best predictor of whether you live near pollution. Um, You know, not income level and not any other thing it's race so Mm -hmm. if you are non-white then you have a higher chance that you're near toxic waste land you know landfills air pollution um you might not have access to clean water you know like flint michigan um Mm -hmm. you might have all these problems just because of your race Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah, and so I guess it's like a matter of um, people not valuing these communities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thinking less of them, thinking, oh, you know, let's just put this landfill over here. Nobody cares about these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to do that. So that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you if you are in that type of community and you grow up with all this pollution, you know, act, Uh, exposure to lead Mm, as a child you know affects your brain development Mm. it has long-term health effects so you know this affects people not just you know when they're in those neighborhoods it could carry on Mm -hmm. throughout their whole life so yeah yeah it's pretty terrible yeah for sure and and they tend to put these uh these like you said polluting you know, factories and, and, and waste, waste, uh, waste areas because they're like, oh, no one in that, no one in this 
neighborhood's gonna kind of stand up and and pro and uh you know go to their con go to their local representative or you know go to the town hall meeting and and uh and what do you say and say not in my neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, or or they're or they're gonna do it without telling anyone not even give people the opportunity whereas in in other neighborhoods people might be more keyed into kind of what's going on they might get to hear you know, from so-and-so that this is happening and they can stop it early. But in in, in uh, neighborhoods that are predominantly non-white, they, they might not have the opportunity to even know it's happening before it happens. Yeah, it's really... It's yeah, really and also, um, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, the environment, but, you know, the infrastructure in these communities are also not as good you know like sewage and uh, drainage um, roads you know pot huge potholes and stuff like that so you have this problem that you know if a you know a disaster hits a hurricane mm-hmm. a flood you know it, it would probably be these types of neighborhoods that are most affected because mm-hmm. their infrastructure was already at a lower uh, level than other neighborhoods so they would get you know the impacts even more so it's kind of perpetuating the yeah. disadvantages of these neighborhoods mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's and a really so, good yeah, point yeah i don't I understand mean, like how cities can have these types of disparities like mm-hmm. if you're a citizen of a city and you're paying taxes your taxes should be you know upkeeping the city and you know all parts of the city mm-hmm. yeah i don't think cities should have places where there's good infrastructure and bad infrastructure like these dollars should be spread out evenly i don't i really mm-hmm. don't understand that yeah yeah and that's what you know like when you talk, when we were talking about um natural disasters i was thinking of the um the levees in mm-hmm. in Louisiana and how parts of the levees were built correctly and strongly, or were you know they're with they were with the, withholding uh, hurricanes, but the ones near um, New Orleans were not. They were not appropriately exactly. constructed, and that was one of the yeah tragedies in recent history here for natural disasters. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, one of the more extreme examples, but even like places with more frequent flooding because of climate change, mm-hmm. it's just certain communities that would get flooded over and over again. Like look at Houston, mm-hmm. um, certain communities that would just, you know, flood more and more because of, um, you know, not putting the resources or you know neglecting certain communities over another so not good Speaking of like, you know, green spaces, like 
How do you, where do you get away? Like, even if you are in this terrible place and there's air pollution and, you know, no clean water, can you get away, like, to nature and enjoy, you know, outdoorsy spots? <laughs> is, is that an option for you? Um, and a lot of communities, it's, it's not. And even um, people who are able to make it out to maybe, like, a public park or, like, you know, a national park are... Um, they kind of don't feel comfortable in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I was listening maybe to a podcast or something and they were talking about um, green spaces, white faces or something and how, you know, black people or brown people that hike in nature are kind of um, made to feel uncomfortable in those spaces because they're not expected to be out there. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of groups that um, say, you know, we're going to go out together, like, you know, black hiking groups mm. or, you know, programs to get urban youth out into the outdoors and experience that mm -hmm. because, you know, historically these faces were, you know, didn't have them in mind. <laughs> mm. They yeah, weren't expecting them to, to, to enjoy these spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like so... That's like so wrong that even Mother Nature or, you know, whatever you want to call it, like even those spaces <laughs> have racism. It's just like really sad that you can't even go out and enjoy, you know, nature without feeling you don't belong. That just to me is, I, yeah, that, wow. Yeah, and then even yeah. like, you know, the way people enjoy outdoors, camping, you know, there's a cost associated with all that yeah. gear mm -hmm. and hiking stuff. Like, you know, there's a level of access that, you know, maybe a, a person with a lower income level can't really get into. So it's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, gatekeeping in, you know, an economic way. Also, sure. a lot of these quote unquote, you know, nature spaces were, um, are created by governments Mm -hmm. You know, they're, you know, set aside public lands or whatever. And, you know, the conservation movement has, you know, maybe a, a checkered past or the, mm -hmm. the people involved in the early conservation movements. Like I was reading this article about John James Audubon, you know, the Audubon Society or whatever. They look at birds and stuff. He uh, he was a naturalist an illustrator talked a lot about birds and the nature scene but um you know he was a slaveholder so mm -hmm. <laughs> he he enslaved uh black people and also i think he might have enslaved some indigenous people as well and he used these uh, enslaved people for his purposes in um tracking birds and you know getting all this information on nature mm -hmm. But, you know, he never credits them with any of their work. They, they're they just, you know, helping hands to them while he gets all the, the credit for being this great naturalist and bird guy. Mm -hmm. So even the National Audubon Society is trying to distance themselves from him now because, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, we don't really uh, condone his you know, slaveholding past, mm -hmm. even though he did kind of start this whole thing. Yeah. So 
I mean, you know, I like a lot of things. A lot of things in this country have racist roots, racist people. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are slaveholders. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Like trying to distance organizations from their uh, roots or, you know, certain people who may have started it or influenced it, trying to distance themselves from those people. Uh, I mean, I think that it's it's good to know your past, especially um, this instance where you said the guy's name is, uh, his last name is Audubon. They're the National Audubon Society. So I think they should definitely... Uh, know their know their roots know the person who founded it you know acknowledge it which they have so i think that's a good thing um whether or not they want to distance in terms of now we're going to change our name to national something society you know i think really think that it's the acknowledgement part is good and then and the stating of that knowledge is good so i you know i'm really glad they have that information out but yeah if there is a lot of you know, i was just thinking when you were saying about the gatekeeping yeah there are you know, quite, quite large fees to get into these, these quote unquote national, mm-hmm. um, national parks. Right. And I mean, just to travel there is one thing. And like, once you get into the park, you may need another form of travel to, to then see a, a part of right. um, this national park. Right. And then these national parks, yeah, they're being controlled and maintained by our federal government, but you know, they seized it from indigenous people. Exactly. So it's not even their lands. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah, we need to acknowledge the past. Like you said, we need to acknowledge these, these racist things and then to do better in the future. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I can think of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's tough. I don't know. <laughs> but this um, is getting this is getting sadder and sadder <laughs> this episode um Go i mean on. you know <laughs> we gotta we gotta face it we gotta face it it could get much sadder lisa <laughs> there's so much but uh yeah so things could get much worse and you know we'll continue to discuss yeah. um let's talk about access to uh fresh foods mm. Um, doctor's offices, pharmacies, Mm -hmm. access to public Mm -hmm. transportation, public libraries. You know, there's a lot of uh, communities don't really have as much access as other communities. And Mm -hmm. I think it was exemplified in um, the disparities that we're seeing between the rates of uh, white people with Mm -hmm. the vaccine, Mm -hmm. white and Asian people actually with the vaccine, and black and uh, Lat- Latinx uh, people with the vaccine. Um, I was a little perturbed or annoyed with the reports that were coming out earlier this year saying, you know, black people are at lower rates for getting the vaccine and it's because they don't, you know, because of past medical, you know, mistrust mm-hmm. with the government and the mm-hmm. Tuskegee, they keep, yep. kept talking about Tuskegee. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> First of all, we're not the only group of people not, you know, who are have some hesitancy or even, you know, refusing to mm-hmm. get the vaccine. You yeah. see a large swath of these, you know, white Republicans mm-hmm. in these southern states that are like, no, we're not getting the vaccine. And, you know, nobody was talking about that at the beginning. Now mm-hmm. they have more to say about that. But I think the bigger issue with, you know, the lower rates of black people and latinx people getting the vaccine was access 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't have access to a pharmacy two years ago and, you know, the, the vaccines are being given at pharmacies or, you know, at these mass vaccination sites that are not close to your community, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to get the vaccine? How are you supposed to get the vaccine? (laughs) That's number one. Like um, I read an article, actually, uh, the Daily Show did a segment saying how, you know, white communities have like three or four pharmacies per square mile or something crazy like that. And, you know, black people don't don't have any pharmacies (laughs) in that same area. So access um, in terms of that was one. The age limit in the beginning you know, states were saying, you know, 70 plus, you know, vaccines for 70 plus. Well, guess what? Black people have a lower uh, life expectancy than white people. Um, and, you know, the fact that black and Latinx people were dying at higher rates and at lower ages than white people should have, uh, you know, made the government think like, hmm, if we really wanted to address this and reach the most vulnerable populations and maybe we shouldn't do it just age-based without any consideration of Mm. you know the black differences in life expectancy like if you don't even live 270 how are you supposed to get the vaccine so they didn't think about that access to internet a lot of people you know in lower income communities don't have broadband access it can't be on the internet at three four o'clock in the morning searching for elusive um uh appointments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you know they have the transportation thing and then you have the you know can you get time off from your essential job mm-hmm. <laughs> an hour to get to the vaccination site an hour to get back on mm-hmm. you know and then transportation some people don't have access to cars so there was a lot of things that you know they touted this like black hesitancy mistrust of the government this is why the rates are so low actually i don't agree with that you know maybe it is some of that but some of it is access and people not um or the government not taking that into account and having you know grassroots people having to hunt for vaccines for elderly people or Mm -hmm. you're making these groups to carpool so it's like you know they see a problem but they don't do anything about it yeah, yeah. I wa- I think I watched that same uh, clip from the from the Daily Show and how, yes, the 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 media was portraying this hesitancy, and Tuskegee was being mentioned left and right, but no one's talking about like you said the access because it's easier, <laughs> it's easier just to say it's this and mm-hmm. not have to do anything to change the real issues. Yeah, and like sick leave. Um, is also non non-existent exactly. in many <laughs> industries. So yeah, you even if you like got if you can't move if you if you got knocked out by the vaccine, you couldn't not skip work, right? Exactly. You don't have sick leave. You don't have paid leave. Yeah, that's yeah. So many things that you know people didn't really think about, and maybe still aren't thinking about. <laughs> like I I've heard reports now after what six months of the vaccine being out. Oh, you can, you know, have two days after you get your vaccine or, you know, a day just in mm-hmm. case. Because, you know, sometimes you do have side effects that <laughs> you can't really function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things that people didn't think about yeah, or don't yeah. care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it's hard to change. Right. 
Like, you, you're, you're not just going to overnight start building pharmacies um, in neighborhoods that don't have any. But, yeah, the max vaccination sites, it, it, that's, that's a big one. You know, that's supposed to, it's from the state health department, right? It's supposed mm-hmm. to help the state. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was, yeah, it was in these locations where you had to drive like two hours, right? you know, and then be there for the whole day when this, when there was not enough vaccines for people. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then like, you know, more privileged people who have to leave, Mm -hmm. you know, have a, you know, transportation, have childcare, you know, if you Mm -hmm. have a Mm -hmm. child, you know, they have the leisure to drive, maybe make Mm -hmm. a day out of it, go to the outlets. But, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> other people can't really do that, so. Yeah. Oh, man. you know, you just said childcare, and that brings me to a very perhaps sensitive topic about school closures mm. and how that affected, um, well, there's two sides to this to this issue, right? When schools closed, a lot of people lost their primary childcare during the work because their kids could be in school for school hours. There was often before and after care services that are mm-hmm. relative, that could be relatively affordable um, and so that the parent could work. And now we have a situation where the parent may have to work, but the child has to be at home doing school, uh, which, are, which they may or may not have broadband uh, inter- or steady broadband internet service. Uh, and as well as they may also not want to send their kids back to school if there was an option because because their population is uh, dying, like you said, more mm-hmm, exactly. and younger, right? So it was just, I was on both sides of the issue. I was like, open the schools. No, wait, close the schools. Wait, give people the choice. I don't know. This one's a, that one really was a hard one for me to know which side I wanted to support because I saw both. Like, yes, don't send these kids in whose families, whose family members may be more, um, susceptible to this virus, but also send them back because they need to be there because education through a screen has not been good for many for many kids, has been detrimental, mm-hmm. I would say, has already set them back from where they were already. So it's it's been, yeah, just very sad. Yeah, that's Honestly. a tough one because, yeah, schools do provide, you know, de facto child care and also... Um, food programs for lower income yes, yes, for sure you know they serve breakfast and lunch so you know some kids may have missed out on some meals this past year and a half mm, because their schools were not open um yeah that's tough yeah, yeah. and so much other so many other things like there's um social services that happen at schools enrichment mm-hmm. programs um a lot of schools find i mean a lot of kids may find uh, comfort in going to school because their home situation might have been there might have been things going on at home like abuse yeah. or um, other things that they could avoid if they were at school and now they're in this home environment you know almost all the time so I just yeah it, it's been it's been hard hearing all these different sides of these school closures and how it's affected the kids yeah and you know teachers as well mm-hmm. um, being well quote-unquote forced to go back you know even pre-vaccine um yeah so it's it's yeah a complicated issue Mm -hmm. but so you said you were at first what what were you thinking you wanted the schools to be open 
Yeah. Well, at first I was like, I was, I was for schools being closed because I initially thought that they were the modes of transmission. Like if mm-hmm. kids stayed in school, they were going to bring home the thing and then you would get the thing because that's what happens with like flu and cold season and anything else that's that true. starts at a school <laughs> it ends up at home. Yes. So I was definitely for the school closures at first, but as time went on and I saw reports of, you know, um, grades, grades, grades being, uh, just the what the gap, the 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 education mm-hmm. gap between white and non-white students was growing larger. Um, kids were more susceptible to suicide now that their schools were closed. And like you mm-hmm. said, yeah, meal programs, social program. I just, and then I became like, you know what? If we can open schools safely, if teachers feel safe to go back, then I was I was like uh, for the the schools opening. But it was like a uh, wavering because I understood from the teacher's point of view of not going back. And I definitely heard a lot of parents saying, well, that's their job, they should go back. But I wasn't, I, I didn't feel comfortable saying someone has to go back. I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, point. grocery workers, grocery workers have to face yeah, the public I, exactly, every day. Same thing. And, you know, other quote unquote essential workers. I feel like if, you know, if we have precautions in place, mm-hmm best practices but you know not all school districts are the same mm-hmm. across yeah, true. the country so true true yeah if you're if you're a grocery worker a restaurant worker and you had to be there um but you didn't have the protection the right ppe if you were being harassed by customers like you know why you know you like just the humanity like people mm-hmm. just like losing their humanity over this this past 18 months has been just awful to watch like just treat people with respect like they're there serving you and you have to come in there yes yeah, <laughs> with your privilege and pretty your, shameful mm-hmm. but that's yeah, a tough one speaking of schools and yeah. uh you know racism everywhere um i was reading you know or i've seen reports that you know, black and brown students are are suspended, have out of school suspensions at a higher rates than, you know, white students who may have similar similar behavior patterns. And that leads to lower instruction hours. You know, um, black children are sometimes viewed as older than they really are or expected mm-hmm. to be less innocent than, you know, other white uh children of the same age Mm. um and then this past i think it was this weekend i saw a twitter post about how a school in mississippi um had two black students you know they were graduating high school and they had the highest grades okay and so you know what happens when you have the highest grades in high school well you're named the valedictorian the salutatorian right Mm -hmm, right yeah so great uh, well, no, white white people didn't like that. So, you know, two white families uh, went to the school and said, you know, maybe you did a miscalculation. I think you, um, I think you miscalculated something there. So, guess what they did? They recounted. They they decided to have a co-validatorian and a co-salutatorian, mm-hmm. in addition to the black students that actually. Uh, won these these titles 
just to please the just to just just to please the um yeah I mean, what do you what do you think about these things of um, the way children are viewed mm. in school, in society, and how that can affect them long term? Yeah, it's. I think I I think I read these statistics in um, the book Me and White Supremacy, talking about this exact thing, like you just said, where for the same infraction, you know, for the same behavior. Um, a non-white student, uh, particularly a black or a brown student, will get more harshly treated or punished for that same behavior. Whereas, uh, if you're white, uh, you may that behavior might be excused more easily. Like, oh, you know, let's just give them a warning, or oh, let's just you know, kids being kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it does affect you as it affects your. I think it affects the students not only like their instruction time, like you said, but also their self confidence. Um, Mm -hmm. and like they can't just focus on the education they have to like you know be a different person or like really like control their behavior when kids they don't they can't control their behavior up like at a certain age they're just they're not adults you know like they will just be kids and Mm. yeah it's just and also you know like yeah you said like some oftentimes black kids are seen older as as uh, kids of the same age and like I don't like, I don't really see it, but I don't understand why, like, that has to be a thing. Like, why, like, your kids is, if your kid, all these kids are second graders, they're all second graders. Like, mm. you know, like, unless, unless one of them is, um, like, a really late birthday or really early birthday. Yeah, there can be a wide range of maturity in a single grade. But, yeah, I think it's just, it's, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that's going on that I don't think kids need to deal with. Um, in order to like please please their teachers or right and then like you know if you have these problems in school well then the school the student's gonna be like you know I don't I don't like school you know school's not for me they might Mm -hmm. drop out or they might disengage and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. the educational potential is lost because some teachers um, decide that you know I can't handle the student or, you know, they view the student as more problematic than other students mm-hmm. um, with similar behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely see how that carries forward. If you, you know, are disinterested in school, then you're not going to pursue, you know, let's say uh, you might not pursue college and then you might not pursue graduate school or medical school or law school. Right. And so that kind of perpetuates this lack of representation in these professions where there could be a lot of change, like you said, in the medical, um, in the medical field, in our government. Um, we really do need like those diverse um, people, diverse voices in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I love like, you know, the schools in, you know, urban areas like Chicago and New York that say, or even Cleveland, I think uh, LeBron James opened a school that say, you know, we're going to take this neighborhood or we're going to take these students that, you know, other schools have said are um, less deserving or problematic. 
we're going to take these students and we're going to teach them with love and respect. And, you know, we're going to show you like, you know, some of these schools have what, 100 percent graduation rates. They have really high mm-hmm. test scores. And it just shows you like if you invest in students, if you, you know, believe in students, give them what they need, you will have better turnout. But, you know, some people just have these preconceived notions and, you know, there are no bias tests. To, to become a teacher, no bias test to become a doctor, no bias test to become an appraiser to, you know, root out, oh, wait a minute, you might have these preconceived notions about certain people and that might affect your performance on the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, true. That's true. It's unfortunate. What do you think about the co valedictorian thing? <laughs> okay i mean i know those i I can picture those type of parents okay they exist everywhere where they have a really loud voice and um they just they you just want to quiet them down but in this case it's just uh, just like the like the most like karen of karen things to do is to question someone's gpa like oh, that that can't possibly be the case it's just i mean i didn't read the article but i'm hoping someone stood up for the valedictorians you know like mm. they earned these they earn these top scores like why are like just because it's not just because there's no white person there does not mean it's not true i just yeah um, i mean if someone had declared, you know, two white students as a valedictorian, yeah. a salutatorian. Would there even have been an investigation? Nope. And nope. would there even have been and said, wait, did you, you know, let me look at these scores again. I don't think anyone would have, you know, questioned the validity of <laughs> their titles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, racism. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, you know, these things still happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of permeate your life in both, you know, really apparent and maybe not so apparent ways. It's just crazy. so much for listening and diving deeper with us into all these different areas where racism persists uh, and can't be necessarily solved uh, easily um, but that we should be aware of and help to make change in them so for today's better world nugget uh, I would like to learn more about how I can uh, work with my local representatives to change these certain Uh, to change these things especially in the education system because i am uh, a parent and these issues really are important to me Um, and so for my better world nugget i like to get more involved in that process and make sure that uh, our students are being treated equally fairly equitably um, in terms of resources services and that we aren't just like leaving out 
like an entire population. How about you, Jaslyn? I don't know. I don't know if I have a bitter oil nugget. It's all, you know, pretty depressing. Um, That's totally fine, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, the problems are far and wide. They touch many aspects of people's lives. And yet, you know, we continue. We strive. We thrive. But I don't think it should be harder for certain groups of people to strive and thrive than others Mm. (laughs) we need to especially with um you know resources like tax dollars they should be distributed equally among all the citizens like you I, i really don't understand why some schools in the same school district have you know worse resources worse facilities than others you know i think the tax dollars should be distributed and you know all the people in that citizen paying into the tax base should get the same level of services same um everything so yeah things need to get better Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Racist Podcast. Before you go, be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to stay up to date on new episodes. Let us know what you thought about the topics we covered today and if we miss any topics that you'd like to discuss more. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Racism's Podcast and on our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. And please consider visiting our Buy Me a Coffee page to show us that you'd like to have us back for season four. Peace, everyone. Be safe. Music for this episode was created by Jaslyn Dukes, Kyle Carson, and Tone. This episode was edited and produced by Kyle Carson.